0: Hear the word of the Lord from Second Peter one three through eleven. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become. Partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in, these, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance to the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word we thank you for the promises that we see. We thank you for the truth the God that God can transform us. We pray, Father, just for Pastor Ryan, you just, I pray you just open his, um, his mouth to speak your words and your words only. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Y'all gonna be seated. Um, as Brian stated, uh, so this is, this is interesting because this is, uh, this is my last sermon for like the next 11 weeks, and I told my kids, buckle up, we're gonna have church at home. And I think they're pretty excited, right guys? <laughs> they are, they are, don't let them kid you, don't let them kid you. Uh, man, so um, so last week I... Um, well, for one, you guys are in really good hands. I, a, a few weeks ago, I, I shared with you kind of our plan over the next 11 weeks, who's going to be in the pulpit, and uh, just some, some great friends from Perimeter Church and other places, and some of our own guys that are in-house that are developing and are, and are great communicators. And so it's just going to be a great opportunity for, the, for, the, for our church to really realize that it's really not about any one person. And that's a really good thing for any church to realize. Amen? Amen. Uh, so um, I, I promised you last week we we're in a, we we're in a series through Genesis and we uh, we had uh, our plate full last week didn't we? Uh, it was a good good sermon good good uh, good good text to look at lots of application for us but there was this one place that I kind of had to I kind of had to cut a little short because I'd already preached for fifty minutes which was on uh, this idea of election uh, and so um, and so what I want to do today is I want to lean more into that but in a very applicable way for us the way that Peter lays it out. Uh, for us here. So what is election? Well, it's not what happens in November in the Bible, Uh, but uh, election is this reality that while we are all so broken and sinful and just utterly without hope that God in his severe mercy chooses to save some of those lost souls. It's an amazing reality. And we said last week that the problem that we get into is we try to be God when we think about this term of election, but really this is only a concept that that God can fully understand. We just know that it's a truth. And so uh, it's this truth that that he chooses to make uh, those that are in Jesus alive, and he gives them these new hearts that can receive his word. And, And these inner qualities of our lives is what Peter's talking about today. So it's, you know, outwardly our lives are wasting away, our bodies are still failing, but there's something happening on the inside of us where God is making us more and more alive, and and somehow this gives us greater confidence in who Jesus is. This gives us greater confidence in who we are in relation uh, to Jesus. So, uh, you know... Our response to the Lord's call of of his his electing power is what we call calling. And calling kind of has two phases to it. The first aspect of calling is this, is there has to be something that happens in the inside of us. Because if there's nothing that happens in the inside of us, the, the, the scriptures say that we're dead. That we're dead in our sins and trespasses and dead people can't make decisions. Dead people can't do anything. Dead people can't choose to live. And so God, the author of life, the source of all life, has to come and wake us up. And the book of Ezekiel chapter, uh, I think it's 36, verse 26, uh, says that he comes and he replaces those hearts of stone that we have with hearts of flesh. And those hearts are now able to respond to the gospel. Now, this inward calling that we have, most of us don't know when this happened. Some of us do maybe, but most of us don't. We just know that one day Jesus was just kind of meh, right? And then the other day it was like, wow, he's life, right? That that happens in every Christian's life. One day Jesus is just kind of like, yeah, I kind of heard that. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But the other, the other day, he's life. So something happened inside of us. And so this, this other side of calling, which is a response to God's electing grace, is this, this outward calling. The book of Romans, chapter 10, we're just reading this as a family last night. Verse 17 says this, faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of our Lord. So the way that it works is God gives us a new heart. We hear the gospel, and all of a sudden we respond to it. That's the miraculous beauty of calling. And that response to it uh, is, is gives us this new resurrection reality that we didn't have before. The way that Peter describes it in Second Peter is that we are now partakers of the divine nature instead of spectators. And, and that's a continuum that we're going to continue to look at today. That that we, because of what Jesus has done, and because of how our hearts have responded to that by his grace, are now partakers of resurrection. Not only partakers of resurrection, but participants in resurrection. So, so God, <clears throat> so that, that said, God wants you to know this about these two realities. Um, he, he wants you to be confident of his decision to choose you, election, and confident of your decision to follow Jesus, calling. This is what Peter came and wrote, uh, wrote to us about so that we could be sure of these things. And it really is a really practical sermon for us. And I was thinking, what is, what is one sermon I could just share with the church, just kind of leave with them? And it would be this reality that the Lord is sovereign and gracious over your sanctification or over your growth in him. Because God doesn't just save us to hide in a bomb shelter until Jesus returns. He saves us to make us partakers of resurrection, not just resurrection looking back at what Jesus had done. Not just resurrection looking forward to when we'll have those glorified bodies that 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. But resurrection today, church. I want resurrection today to you. I want it for us. And here's the thing that I've noticed. You know why we don't see it? Because most of us aren't looking for it. So here's our big idea for today. It's this, that Jesus' commitment to making us like him is greater than our resistance to the change. Jesus is more committed to making you more and more look like Jesus, resurrection, than you are to desiring that, right? If there's one guy in the Bible that found comfort in this reality, it was the Apostle Peter. When we're going to be looking at that passage today that we read, Peter was a guy that knew what it was like to be high. I mean, he's the only one that walked on water. It was only a couple steps, but he did it. But he also knew what it was like to be low. He knew what it was like to give Jesus up, right? When he had a chance to stand with him. Peter knew what it was like to be high, Peter knew what it was like to be low. Remember, Peter said at one point when Jesus was talking about the fact that he was, gonna, he was gonna die and be raised from the dead. Peter said basically, like, like, basically, don't say that, Jesus. And then Jesus gives him this great nickname, right? He says, Get behind me, Satan, right? I mean, so he's he he I mean, the other disciples, I don't know who's been nicknamed Satan, but he, I mean, that had to be a low point, I'm guessing, right, for Peter. That that had to be rough. So he, he fails miserably in this moment. And, and many times, I think we think that Jesus has come to start our salvation, but not sustain and finish our salvation on this earth. We're not looking for resurrection. Peter says we ought to be looking for it. Let me just tell you where I'm going to go in this passage. Three points, just like a good sermon. Uh, three points, that's all they can have. And uh, first one is this uh, they teach you that at seminary, no more than three. Um, I'm kidding. The first thing that we're going to look at, which is in the first two verses, is this. The call to Jesus is the call to be personally empowered by the resurrection. It is not a call to be empowered by our own performance, but to be empowered by the resurrection. The second thing is this, is that miraculous transformation is the result of incremental growth in grace. Let that sit in for just a second. It's not this big bang explosion of growth. Look, I'm a different person. I never sin anymore. But what Peter lays out for us is this miraculous transformation that is a result of incremental growth over time. Third thing we see is this, is that your confidence and assurance of transformation is a priority to Jesus. He wants you to be secure and certain of his electing grace on your life and your participation in the resurrection. He wants it for us. Let's dig in together. So look at that first point. Uh, if you've got a Bible, let's, let's open it up. We're just going to tear this passage apart today. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 to start us off here. Read it for us. And this is about uh, the call to be personally empowered by the resurrection. His divine power has granted to us all things. "...that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, not our own, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature." having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What we see here is we see life and we see death. And we see that Jesus has opened up a way for us to experience life here and now. Divine power, what is that? What is the greatest demonstration of divine power in the history of the universe? It's the resurrection, isn't it? Every other display of genuine divine power is an echo of the resurrection, right? It's the resurrection. So he says his divine power or his resurrection power, we could kind of swap it out with here. His resurrection has granted to us all things, not some things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, His resurrection has given you everything you need to faithfully follow Jesus. Amen? It's what he's done. It's what he said here. And it's through the knowledge of his promises that we have been empowered to escape death. Because we've we've become partakers of the resurrection. That's what Peter is laying out for us. He's using a lot of big words, a lot of flowery language. That's what he's laid out for us here. I think Peter looks back on his apprenticeship with Jesus and he says, the whole goal of of coming to Jesus that day that I was out on the lake fishing with my brother is to be made like Jesus. To truly live is to be godly. It's to be close to Jesus. We don't try to be godly so that we can prove ourselves to God. We try to be godly because Jesus was godly. So being made like Jesus means that you look at yourself, the world, and other believers through a set of resurrection lenses, right? You no longer allow the world and death and the corruption of our fallen nature to be the definition of the outcome of your life. But for everywhere that you see a grave, there's a resurrection hope, whether that's a a small loss in your life or a big loss in your life, there's hope of resurrection, this is the thing that changes people. This is the thing that the world is missing. This is the thing the church is missing resurrection. The knowledge of these promises, all of these promises that say, you know, if you were to look at every promise of grace throughout the whole Bible, it's all pointing to the hope of life in the midst of death. Every single one. Every single promise of God's covenant to, to, to be to us a God. Uh, and we to be his people and for him to do everything it would take to make us that way is a promise of life in the midst of the valley of death, the shadow of death. And so it's all about resurrection. The knowledge of these promises is, is not given to us so that we can be spectators of the resurrection looking down, but it's to be partakers of the resurrection. And church, I want us to experience resurrection. I was with a group of Pastors this week, and uh, we were we we've been sharing life together for a couple years now, and I was I was confronted and challenged by one of the brothers, and it was really helpful for me as I was sharing part of my story with him. I, he 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 just challenged me. He said, "You know, Ryan, I I'm getting to know you, and I and I hear parts of your your story that I don't hear the resurrection in." So when when you're talking about your, your journey with the Lord or your journey in life and, and, and you're explaining the losses, whether it be you know, origin of family issues or just besetting sins that you've been trapped in, and you only see the pain and the consequences of the sin, and you don't see the resurrection hope, You're being formed more by the narrative of sin as its consequences than the the narrative of resurrection. He said, Ryan, what what would it look like for you to look back on your life, look back on your story, instead of seeing all the ways that people failed you, see all the ways that God rescued you? All the ways God redeemed you? All the ways God resurrected you? All the ways that he gave you grace? What if you told your story from that angle? And I said, hmm. So I'm going to spend the summer thinking about that I want you I want to encourage you to think about your story the same way to think about all the ways God has been saving you all of these years whether you're young or old all the ways God's been resurrecting and redeeming you think about those things Being a Christian is about being a partaker of this divine power in nature. That that word partaker is this word koinonia, and it's a Greek word that means fellowship. So it means this, that we have this fellowship with God that's centered on sharing his power of resurrection. Like that's the essence of our source of life is that we share the power of the resurrection. Utter dependence on the resurrection is the basis of life. If Jesus doesn't raise me, I'm dead. That's what every Christian says, right? That's the essence of our confession of faith. If Jesus doesn't do it, I'm hopeless. Um, And it doesn't matter how alive you seem to be to other people. Without Jesus, you are dead. And every time that I've thought I could find life apart from the resurrection, it always leads me to trouble, doesn't it, you? Um, listen to how Paul would put it. This is come, comes from Philippians 3. Paul, when you look at Paul's story, he thinks about resurrection. I mean, it is like every moment of his life he's thinking about the resurrection. I want you to listen to how he writes this to encourage the church in Philippi. Because one of the things you've got to know about living in resurrection is you've got to receive the losses that you experience in life. You can't avoid them. The the threats of death, the threats of loss, the the things that set you back, the things that tempt you to despair, you've you've got to receive those in order to experience genuine resurrection. That's what Paul does here. Listen, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. There's that knowledge again, right? That knowledge that's supposed to be converted to power. For his sake, for Jesus' sake, he said, I've suffered The loss of all things. He's not mad about it. He said, I I count them as rubbish. I'm not going to go into this, but I think a lot of y'all know what that means. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. In other words, I've got to receive the losses that I've experienced to have life. Most people don't know how to receive the losses. We spend our lives trying to avoid them. And God is so desperately trying to give you resurrection. Resurrection through the losses, through the setbacks, through the besetting sins that make you so utterly dependent on Jesus. He says, when I do this, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, climbing that ladder, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We'll keep going here. Yeah, there we go. That I may know him, but not only know him, know him and the power, that divine power that Peter tells us about of what? The the resurrection. He wants to know the power of it. And he's got to share in the sufferings because he's got to become like Jesus in his death to experience the life of Jesus. Jesus. And for him, it's any means possible, any means that he may attain the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of his day. Jesus Christ was the most dependent person to ever walk the face of this earth. Do you know that? He couldn't go a moment without talking to his father. It is why it utterly devastated him when he was on the cross. And what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It killed him to know that he didn't have that fellowship in that moment. And in that moment, we know theologically that God was putting all of the sins of the world on Jesus's shoulders, breaking fellowship so that resurrection could be a reality for me and for you. And so little of our lives is spent living out that resurrection. The Christian life is about experiencing Jesus through resurrection. I want the resurrection today. Do you? I want to encourage you to look on your life To think back on your life over the next coming weeks about all the ways Jesus has been displaying and sharing his divine power over the uh, the fallen nature of death in your life and raising you from the dead. Recount those ways because when you look back and you see the resurrection, it helps you look forward and see the resurrection. Let's keep going here. Number two. Miraculous transformation is the result of incremental growth in grace. What a painful thing to hear. When we think about Jesus' resurrection, we're thinking about this Big Bang thing. Like I, you know, I was, you know, this Apostle Paul kind of conversion story. I was like killing Christians and now I'm preaching the gospel, right? That's not what Peter lays out for us is the normative experience of growth and grace in the Christian life. We've just got to come to grips with that. We've got, to, we've got to quit holding that out there as the, as the litmus test for maturity in Jesus. What if the resurrection and transformation were more incremental? You know, more about a cumulative resurrection experience day in, day out with those that you share life with. I want you to notice that all of the things that Peter lays out in this passage about incrementally growing in grace are done in the context of community with other believers. This, this letter was written to... A church, not just a person. Peter wrote the letter to encourage the church and how to be sure of their election and calling to grow in God's grace. And so what if we as the church were able to, as we share life in community, see certain qualities displayed in that community and be able to stop and say, hold up guys, I just saw the resurrection. Did you see that? Did you see it? I mean, he's right here in our midst. It used to be death, and now it's resurrection. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? I think that's what Peter wants, to call out the resurrection, to call it out. Let, let's, let me remind you what what uh, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9 says. He says, for this very reason, in other words, he's, he's linking, he's hitching, Uh, the the qualities of a resurrected life to the power of the resurrected Jesus, right? Because God never asks us to do anything that he doesn't give us the power to do, right? That's a baseline of Christian growth. Got to know that. Then he goes on to say this. Make every effort to supplement, not replace, but to supplement your faith with virtue or the the valuing of moral conduct, right? And virtue with, with knowledge And knowledge with self-control. It's self-control with this unwavering faith that we call steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness, godlikeness, characteristics that look like God. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection to even a deeper degree. Love. Make every effort. To supplement your faith with these things, he says. Because here's what happens. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours, if they are growing in your life and present in your life, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So hold up. There's a way that Christians can live where their lives are ineffective with the knowledge of Jesus. You're like, hold up, I didn't realize I had a responsibility. You have, this indicates that we have a responsibility with the knowledge that we've been given about Jesus. Jesus would make it more clear. He'd say, "You're to go out and make disciples of all nations, uh, teach, baptize, show them the way, teach teach them how to make disciples." But not only that, love God with all you are, and love your neighbors yourself. Right? So that's the responsibility. That's what the knowledge of God is intended to lead you to. To be ineffective or unfruitful of our knowledge of Jesus. And then he goes on to kind of give us this warning. It's kind of a hard one. He says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Now, blindness in the Bible means unbelief. I'm not trying to pick it apart too much, but just look at it, right? We're blinded by the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So let's not go into engineering mode here where we kind of engineer a way to make it from, you know, faith, construct our way all the way to love, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about this exhaustive list of characteristics and qualities. But what he's talking about is a trajectory of growing in God's grace, right? Right? A trajectory, what it looks like as you begin to get that the gospel is supposed to grow in our lives. And I want you to notice, here's what I want you to notice about this list, is that it begins with faith, right? By faith you've been saved through grace, the gift of God. So God gives you the gift of faith. You hear about Jesus, this, this inward call, this outward call, you respond. Faith, it begins there. He doesn't ask you to be anywhere that you can't be without his power. But it ends with love. Begins with faith, it ends with love. It's supposed to be displayed in the Christian community, in the Christian life. And Peter is showing us that when the resurrection is alive in you, church, it changes you. You don't stay the same when the real resurrection of Jesus is alive in us. We're never standing neutral in God's kingdom. We're either drifting further toward death, or the old way of living. Or further toward life is what Peter is laying out for us. I grew up in Kentucky. Most of you know that. I'm proud of it. I'm also proud not to be there anymore, but that's okay. Love being here. Love being called here. But one of the things about where I grew up is that I, I learned how to swim um, in the river a lot. And if you've spent much time swimming in the river, you know that the main thing you've got to know about the river is what? There's something that's moving through it all the time. It's called a current. Remember the first time I jumped out of that boat, one of the first times, and I'm just kind of hanging out, right? And all of a sudden, I'm like 30 feet past the boat, right? You're always moving. There's always a current that's pulling you when you're in a moving body of water. This is kind of what Peter's talking about here, is that there's always a current. And so for Christians, the resurrection gives us power to swim against the current of the world. Remember, it's Jesus' power, not our own. So these qualities that he lays out about the resurrected life are qualities that swim upstream from, the, from the, the current of death, right? The current of condemnation, the current of bondage, the current of shame. He enables us to swim upstream. And what Peter warns us about is, is that, that if you are not, if these qualities are not evidences of the faith that you have, that you're, you, you've forgotten about what Jesus has done and you're being swept down the river because we're ineffective and unfruitful in our knowledge of Jesus. That, that we're not called to work, we're not called to work for our salvation, but we are called to work out our salvation. Grace is not, uh, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. You see the difference there. It's all about God's power changing us. It's not just about the resurrection back then or up ahead. It's about the resurrection right now. And the beautiful thing about this is God calls us to live it out in our community. I think in these behaviors, what Peter's outlining for us um, is that um, you really can't hide the resurrection. If, if you think about this, when the resurrection is alive inside of you, you, you really. You can't hide it. It's it's on display for all to see. Jesus doesn't raise someone from the dead to keep them in the casket. He says, go be salt, go be light, go live out this resurrection life of joy. Go spend and be spent for the gospel's sake. Because you, of all people, have a reason to have no fear anymore anymore. Because death has been dealt with, which is the essence of all forms of fear that we have is a fear of death. That's been dealt with. Jesus has dealt with the biggest problem so that we can go and we can live. Peter gives this this last warning for us here to to say that, that if you're not seeing growth in your Christian life, It's either because you've forgotten how good Jesus is, how good his grace is, and how much he loves you, or you never had it to begin with. And that's the scary thing, especially in the South, is that there are many people in our churches that never had it to begin with, and they're probably terrified to tell anybody about that. So how do we live in such a way where grace is the aroma of our lives? The resurrection is what we're seeking to call out and to live out. So my question to you is this. Where's the resurrection at around you today? Where's his divine power and where are you partaking in his divine power? And how is it being evidenced in your community with those that you share life with or those that you disciple, those that you are next to a cubicle with? Because I think Peter is giving us the freedom to call out and to celebrate resurrection when we see it because it is a rare thing, Right? The, great, the single greatest demonstration of power in the, in, the, in, the, in the history of the world is resurrection, and we get to share in it. So what would it look like for you to call out and encourage resurrection with those that you share life with this week? To call out and to celebrate, man, I just see you growing in self-control. Like, like I, don't, I don't know what's going on in the inside of you, but you just seem more like Jesus than you did yesterday. What would it look like to encourage one another in those realities? And with that in mind, let's go to our third point here. And it's this beautiful point that your experience of the resurrection and your assurance of your participation in the resurrection is a priority, Jesus. Jesus wants you to be sure of your salvation. I I don't have to do a raise of hands in here, but I'm willing to bet a lot of us have doubted our salvation and we've doubted our salvation because we haven't, we've seen certain behaviors that have come out of our life that really cause us to step back and say, do I really get it? Or we've done certain things in our life that are maybe these types of sins that we think, man, just don't see those being confessed a lot in the church. And so we doubt. Jesus knows that you are prone to wonder and doubt your salvation. And so what does he say? Well, before we get there, let me just ask you this. Who in here this morning, has, would you would say you'd look back on your week and you'd say, man, <laughs> I just got too much encouragement this week. It was just way too much. I couldn't take it all in. Look around, look around. Oh, we got one here. Love it, love it. Anybody else? All right. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus wants to encourage us. None of us get that much encouragement, right? Encouragement is from the resurrection. And I think the devil is winning this battle. And my hope is that he won't win it in the church. We are people that need to be encouraged. We need our calling and our election in Jesus Christ to be confirmed. We need to know that he really loves us. And that frees us up to love other people because when we're not loved by God, we cannot love other people. We are too busy trying to get loved ourselves. It's the only thing that can free you up to be salt and light, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's the only thing. And Jesus knows this and this is why he calls us to live as the family of God. I want you to look around. These people, I don't know how good you know each other. We're finally, some of you have your mask off, which is great. We're kind of moving that direction. It's awesome. Can live together. Uh, In full face, family of God, it's going to be great. And these are the only people in your life, the church, whether they're in here or out of here, that can encourage you in the thing that you need most in your life, the resurrection. The world cannot encourage you in the resurrection. They don't have it. The world cannot give you the power that you were made to receive in the resurrection of life. What's it look like for us to encourage more, one another more and more in the resurrection? Peter says when this disappears, when this encouragement disappears in our lives from the church and from Jesus that we fall or we doubt or we fear and we get isolated and we inevitably look for life and resurrection in all the wrong places. L- listen to what he says. Land in the plain here, 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent or conscientious, pay attention to it, to confirm your calling and your election. Now, I want you to take note that in the Greek, all of these, all these verb uh, tenses, are, they're plural. It's written to a church, not individuals. So, confirm your, the church, calling and election, for if you, the church, practice these qualities, you, the church, will never fall. For in this There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of resurrection of our Lord Jesus. As we practice these qualities together, we remind ourselves of the resurrection. And your Father in heaven is so eager to confirm your calling to him. And your calling to you and the world over and over again so much that you'll experience growth and grace, and you'll see these characteristics displayed in your life that will make you eager to grow even more. Now, let's not forget, let me land the plane here, let's not forget about the guy that wrote this. This is Peter. Peter knew how to be high, he knew how to be low, right? You you know what I mean by high. Um, The disciples had all been isolated, and they had lost Jesus, right? He was in the grave. And then Jesus rose from the dead, and they even saw him, but their lives didn't change. You ever read that in the Gospels? They, that they, they see Jesus. He appears to them. Thomas, you know, put your hand in my All that whole thing. And then Peter and his brothers, his brother and, and friends, they go back out to the same old thing they were doing. This is where Jesus finds them, right? They see Jesus. They see the resurrected Jesus two times, and it's not clicking for them. So Jesus finds them. This is John 21 if you want to look it up. I'm kind of storytelling for us here, but... John 21, Jesus finds them back out on the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is significant, right? The Sea of Galilee is the central place that Jesus discipled his men. It was the place in Matthew 4 that Jesus would call Peter, James, and John to follow him. And what did he say? Come and I will make you fishers of men. Ha <laughs> ha, I like what he did there, right? Come and follow me. I'm going I'm I'm to set you on a new trajectory. You're going to fish for men, not fish. And so they spent the next three years following Jesus. Jesus at Sea Galilee would be the place where Peter would walk on water. They would experience Jesus silence a storm over and over and over again. Peter and Jesus on this sea. But Peter, because of his sin and unbelief after denying Jesus and seeing him crucified, went back to the life he did before Jesus. You know why? I'm just speculating, but probably felt like damaged goods. Probably felt like kind of worthless in the kingdom. Kind of kind of blew it big time, right? Anybody else feel like that? Peter up until this point was a spectator of the resurrection, not a partaker, not a participant of the resurrection. Something happened in John 21. Jesus comes to meet them on the shore and they're fishing and they've been fishing all night, toiling. They haven't caught anything. And so, not only like, if you let Jesus down, now you went back to fishing, you can't even catch any fish, right? I mean, come on, God, right? Jesus says, hey guys, it's me, Jesus. Throw your net on the other side. See if you catch anything, and they're like, Jesus, we're kind of fishermen, we kind of get this. They throw it on the other side, they catch like 159 fish. I think the Bible actually tells you how many they catch. It's a ridiculous amount of fish. It's so much that their nets are breaking. What's Jesus telling them when he does that? Hey guys, I'm the source of life. You're not gonna find it away from me. And at this point, Peter, the boldest man in the boat, says, That's Jesus. I'm getting out of here. Jump strips down, buck naked. Swims to the shore with Jesus, right? He's with Jesus. What does Jesus do when he gets on the shore? He cooks breakfast. Just like Jesus to cooked breakfast. Most of his ministry done around a meal. As they wrapped up breakfast, Jesus got down to, to business because he had plans for Peter's life. He had plans for the resurrection to flow through Peter's life. The same plans that he has for the resurrection to flow through your life. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know all things, you know? You know I love you. Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. And after he wraps this up, he looks at him and he says the first thing that he ever said to him. You know what it was? Follow me. Church, that is the invitation of the resurrection for you today. Doesn't matter how many times you've let him down, doesn't matter how many times you've blown it, the call for the resurrection to flow through your life is the same. Follow me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Um, that I can relate so deeply to Peter and yet find uh, so much comfort from how tender you are with him. Jesus, the reality is, is we want the resurrection. We, we want it. We don't know how bad we want it sometimes because we get settled with things that are not the resurrection. But God, we want the resurrection. We want your divine power to flow through our lives. We want to be partakers of the resurrection. We want to call out the resurrection in our midst, in our community, God. We want to see your power flow through us. And we cannot do that unless we know that you love us. And so, Father, at this table today, I pray that you would seal up the loose ends of our doubt when it comes to the question, do you love me? Well, we pray that you'd meet us in a profound way at this table. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.